This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Amen, amen. Good morning, everybody. My name is Ron. I am New Life's teaching and mentoring pastor, and uh, today I'm going to teach us about the most emotionally and politically charged subject in our culture, and that's the concept of same-sex attraction and homosexuality. Are you ready for that? Yeah, I know. It's going to get quiet in here after a while. I can tell you that already. Um, But, you know, this is going to be a great opportunity to learn. And I want us to learn in the context of God's amazing love and grace. And uh, so, let's get some things, let's acknowledge some things right up front. Okay, here we go. The first thing we're going to acknowledge is that every person in this room has a friend, a family member, a fellow student, or a co-worker that's gay, right? Right, okay. The second thing is this. There are people in this room who live every day of their lives experiencing same-sex attraction. I'm not going to ask for a big, hearty, robust amen, because, but it is true. I know a number of people who come to church here every single Sunday and, and, and this is where they live, okay? There are people in our church that every day of their lives, this is the world that they live in. They experience same-sex attraction. The third thing is this. Each of us has deeply held thoughts, opinions, and perhaps even fears about this subject. I've noticed this over 40-some years of ministry. I've noticed that oftentimes our thoughts, opinions, and feelings sometimes have no basis in fact, but it doesn't keep us from holding them, does it? Yeah, unfortunately, sometimes we get our minds made up and people just confuse us with the facts. But, but this morning, we're going to try to haul out some facts, okay? That would be important for us. And then uh, number four is this. More heat than light has often been generated by discussions about this subject. I don't know of any subject that you can bring up that people come out, regardless of what side you might be on this subject, you come out with your guns blazing and you're ready to shoot somebody who disagrees with you. And on the one side, if, if you happen to be uh, on one side, you cast the other side as unloving. And if you happen to be on the other side, you'll cast this side as, as you know, burying their head in the sand or something. Uh, but people have this, boy, there's a, oftentimes there's a lot more heat than light generated. I hope today to be able to shine the light of God's Word uh, on the subject. The next one is this. The Christian community, unfortunately, has been inconsistent and ineffective in its communication of God's heart and truth about homosexuality. I want to pull over to the side of the road And I had you write in the words heart and truth on purpose. Because this morning, I want us as a church to get a very clear understanding of where God's heart is and what the truth is. Because if you have either one without the other, it doesn't do much good. But I want to say this as well. Um, You're probably like me. You have had it up to here with turning on the TV and there's some pastor of some church somewhere who's sexually molesting kids, right? Yeah. I want to read you a letter from a lady. She was a lady who had been living the gay lifestyle, struggling with a lot of guilt, finally wanted to, to do something about that, and, and 
Well, here's the letter. She wrote it to a pastor friend of mine in Las Vegas. I got his permission and the lady's permission to read it to you. My plan when I reached Las Vegas was to leave it all behind, the gay lifestyle, and to try to start fresh again, but within a year I was involved in relationships primarily with married Christian women. They became my despondency in time. In an effort to straighten up my life, spend time with my church family, and stay out of bad influential environments, and all those other great ideas of the church. But I kept ending up in these relationships with women who were supposed to be developing healthy female relationships with me. The very church that I confessed to, cried out to, and worshipped with, in the end, stepped on my heart and destroyed my faith. They told me I had greased my way to hell, and they backed up their words with scriptures. It nearly sent me to my grave. My heart is filled with anger toward the church and Christians in general. They have failed me and so many others like me. I want to say I'm awfully glad that that letter wasn't written to me about our church. And I have to tell you right up front, you are the most loving, accepting, kind, welcoming church I've ever been a part of anywhere at any time. I think that's absolutely fabulous. But I also have to tell all of us that we need to acknowledge that sometimes in the Christian community at large, we have been guilty as all get out at being inconsistent, sending one message and sometimes living a different message, or sometimes sending a message that Christ would not send at all. And we have to understand that the people who are in the gay and lesbian world out there, and even the transsexual world out there, that oftentimes the only thing they know of Jesus and the church is something like what that lady experienced. Okay? And that means we have ground to make up. And uh, so this morning, I want us to take a big step forward in making up some of that ground. I have one other thing I need to acknowledge to you, and that is this. In the course of the morning, I'm probably going to say something that will be either difficult for you to hear, or it might even make you mad. I hope it doesn't, but it might. I want to say this to you. Number one, would you please listen with an open mind? And number two, would you please listen all the way to the end? Because if you turn your brain off halfway through, you're only going to get half of the truth. And you know what usually half of a truth is? It's a lie, right? And you won't hear the whole thing. So are you with me on that? Everybody ready to listen? Listen all the way to the end? Yeah. All right, here we go. Okay? Because in the end, it's not what you think or what I think about same-sex attraction and the homosexual and gay lifestyle 
It's what God actually says that actually makes the difference and where it should be. It's what actually becomes reality. So let's take a look at what the truth about God and the gay lifestyle. And the first thing that I would say to you is this. God is absolutely grieved over the pain and mistreatment inflicted on gay and lesbian people. And especially when it comes from the church. I'll never forget picking up the newspaper, uh, or maybe I saw it on TV, I don't remember, but I'll never forget when I first came across the story of Matthew Shepard. He was a college student at the University of Wyoming that got kidnapped and taken to a desolate place outside of Laramie, Wyoming, stripped of his clothes, tied to a fence post, pistol whipped till he was unconscious and left to freeze. He was discovered 18 hours later by a biker, taken to a hospital where he lived for five days before he died. Why? He was gay. That's it. In somebody's mind, that made it okay. Matthew Shepard is God's son. Created to be loved by God. Created to be loved by the people around him. And no matter what you may think of the gay and lesbian lifestyle, none of God's kids ever deserves to be treated like that. Are you on board with that? Yeah. You know, when I first read that story, unfortunately, after I got over being mad and angry, God began to take me back to some years of ministry early on in my ministry when I didn't get this subject either. And I hadn't been trained about it right or any of those things. And I remembered with shame telling some queer jokes. Are any of you old enough to remember queer jokes? Yeah, most of you don't want to admit that. And you, and you know, I... I I just asked God to forgive me. I said, God, I, I was clueless. And then I remembered that God over the years had enabled me and Monica to have at our table, at our dining room table, some people that were friends of ours who were gay and lesbian and sit around our dining room table and laugh and joke and share life and enjoy them as just wonderful friends and fellow members of the human race. And I remembered that God had given me the opportunity on a number of occasions to do the memorial service for young men whose lives ended far too early. They were gay young men who had lost their lives to AIDS. And I remembered in particular one his parents came to me and said, can I meet with you? I said, yeah. And they said, most people don't know 
that we lost a son seven years ago to AIDS. And we never did a memorial service for him. Frankly, because we didn't think any of our Christian friends would come and we didn't think a Christian pastor would do the service. Seven years after they buried their son, we got together and we did a memorial service. Listen, friends, here's the conclusion. God is grieved, and we should be too. The second truth about God and the gay lifestyle is this. God is a lot smarter than we are when it comes to understanding the complex dynamics that go into same-sex attraction. You know what the honest truth is about same-sex attraction? The experts are all scratching their heads going, we know less now than we thought we knew 10 years ago. That's the honest truth. Yeah. Here are identical twins, so you know they have the same DNA. Raised in the same home, by the same parents, neither one of them has been sexually abused or molested in any way. They went to the same schools, all the same things, and one of them ends up with same-sex attraction, and the other does not. And the experts just go, I don't know. Here are three possible contributing factors. Now, before I give you what they are, I want you to understand that these are not causes for same-sex attraction. No one's ever identified these as causes. These are simply statistical studies that when these certain conditions exist, a higher-than-normal number of children in those circumstances end up with same-sex attraction. That's all it is. No cause. We don't know why. We just know when these conditions exist, this is what happens. The first is in certain types of dysfunctional and destructive families. I don't have time this morning to get into what exactly those types are, but when there are certain types of dysfunctional families, then a higher than normal percentage of the children raised in that home have a tendency toward same-sex attraction. All studies statistically show that to be true. A second thing that all studies tend to point to is this. Early same-sex experiences with a trusted friend or family member tend to produce a much higher than normal level of same-sex attraction in those children. I remember a guy coming into my office and sitting down and just crying his eyes out and he, he... experienced same-sex attraction every day of his life. And I said to him, hey, tell me your story. He looked at me and he said, from upper grade school till the day I graduated from high school, I was sexually molested by my father or my older brother every day. Something happened on the inside of him. Statistically, when children are exposed to same-sex experiences at an early age, it tends to aim them, or can tend to aim them, that direction. 
There's a third thing, and this is the one that tends to get the most press, and that is the concept of predisposition. Usually it's stated, we're born this way, or we're made this way, or there's nothing we can do about it. This is just how we are, okay? Um, Oftentimes, the person who's quoted and the guy who did some of the initial research in this field, and the first guy who claimed to have discovered anything significantly different in the mind or body of, of a gay man as opposed to a straight man. His name is Simon LeVay. And he claimed that he had discovered some difference in the hypothalamic structure of the brain in gay men that was different from that of straight men. And so, hence the I was born that way thing, I was born with this hypothalamic structure. I want to read to you a direct quote from Simon LeVay himself. He said, It is important to stress what I didn't find. I did not prove that homosexuality is genetic or even find a genetic cause for being gay. I did not show that gay men are born that way. That is the most common mistake people make in interpreting my work. Uh, Oftentimes, as I said, there's a lot of misinformation out there. The truth is, we still don't know what causes same-sex attraction. We take stabs at it. We keep studying it. We still don't know. Here's what I want you to know. We don't know, but God does. That's the important thing. We may never know, but God does. And, and here is what the Bible says, that we serve a great God. How great is our Lord? His understanding is beyond what we can comprehend. While we scratch our heads, God knows the simple truth. So, as I said before, it's not what God says. I mean, it's not what you and I think. It's what God says that makes a difference. So here's the third thing I know about God and the gay lifestyle. And that is that God would expect his followers to speak the truth in love. And I'm going to go into the scripture and I'm going to show you exactly what God says about the gay lifestyle in scripture. And by the way, I want you to know there's a difference between same-sex attraction and and the gay lifestyle. Many people experience same-sex attraction but do not go into the gay lifestyle. Okay? Uh, God is going to speak about the gay lifestyle. Um, I want to say this. This is the Bible. This is God's Word. And God wrote this to take the guesswork out of life. So you and I don't have to guess about what's right or what's wrong. We can actually open up the Bible and find out what's right and what's wrong and what's, what, what is good for us and what's not good for us. And I can tell you this, that when God says something is good, here's what you know. Here's what you can know. Okay, It's going to be good for the person. It's going to be good for their family and marriage. And it's going to be good for the culture in which they live. And when God says that anything is bad, it's actually going to be bad for the person, it's going to be bad for their marriage and family, and it's, going to be, it's actually going to work to tear down the culture that they live in. Okay, That, by the way, is why it's bad to murder. 
It's not wrong to murder because God said it was wrong to murder. God said it's wrong to murder because it's bad for us. It's bad for the person who does it. It's bad for the home and the family. Not only the person who's murdered, but actually the person who did the murdering and it will break down the culture when murder is let to go. It's just bad, okay? So now we're going to take a look. And the one thing that we need to know is when we open God's Word, we don't conform God's Word to our lifestyle. But I like to steal. So I'm going to pretend that God said stealing is okay. No, we don't do that. We don't conform the Bible to our lifestyle. We conform our our lifestyle to God's Word because we trust Him. Now, God's Word on moral sexuality is very clear. It's very plain. It's very simple and easy to understand. And it's consistently stated from the first book in the Bible all the way to the last book in the Bible. And so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to point us to three of them, but they represent many that are throughout Scripture. And the first is this. Do not practice homosexuality. And just in case we might you know, sort of want to split hairs on what that means, because sometimes people go to this passage and say, well, he's talking about temple prostitutes. He said, no, do not practice homosexuality. And, and just in case you're wondering, that means having sex with another man is with a woman. And then God goes, it is a detestable sin, okay? And we'll get into what that might mean later. Here's a second passage. That was from the Old Testament. This is from the New Testament. Paul writes and says, God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Now, same message. I have no idea, by the way, what the penalty is that they deserved in their bodies. Uh, I've heard all sorts of people conjecture, but uh, it's all conjecture. I don't know. God knows what that is. I don't. But it's very clear that God expected men to have sexual relations with women and vice versa and not practice homosexuality on either side of that. Hebrews chapter 13 goes on to say, honor marriage and guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy. It would be good for you just to underline that last phrase, guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy because that has far... far, uh, more reaching effects than you might imagine. He goes on to say, between a wife and a husband, God draws a firm line against casual and illicit sex. I want to give you God's entire moral code on sexuality in one sentence. It is the consistent message from the beginning of Scripture to the end, and here it is. God designed sexual experience to be between a man and a woman in the context and the confines, and the commitment of marriage. It's not in your notes, but I want you to hear it, okay? Any sexual experience outside of that is bad for you. It's just bad for you. Whether it's pornography, any sexual experience outside of intimacy between a husband and wife inside of marriage is bad for you. It will tear you down in some way, and it actually tears down the culture. 
It breaks down the family structure. You know what I wrote sort of in my notes? I guess none of us really gets off the hook here then, right? Because you know what Jesus said? If you look at a person and lust after them, you've committed adultery with them already in your heart. There's not a person sitting here that hasn't done that. Yeah. You see, the truth is, we are all sexual sinners in some way. So nobody has any stones to throw. God calls us to moral and sexual purity. And since we're all sexual sinners in some way, and I know I'm going to have you fill in that blank here in just a minute, I want to to look at God's loving and gracious plan. Because we just said God would expect us to speak the truth in love. And here's where you can see the amazing love of God and what should be the amazing love of His people. Before I read this verse to us, I want us to see if we can't find ourselves in this verse. Here it is. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Right away, if you're a wrongdoer, is that good news or bad news? Bad news. Anybody here a wrongdoer? Yep, all of us. If that's where it ended, we'd be in trouble. And then Paul says, don't be deceived. I've learned in reading the Bible, every time the Bible says, don't be deceived, that what follows is something I could easily be deceived about. In this series of of teachings called Rethink It, our key verse is Romans chapter 12, verse number 2, and it reads like this out of the Phillips translation. Do not let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but let God make you into a new person by changing the way you think. In other words, the world is going to try to get you to think a certain way. And God says, no, I want to teach you how to think the truth. Not just what is politically correct or popular at this time. I want to teach you the truth. That's why he says, do not be deceived. Now, he goes on to say, Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor practicing homosexuals, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Did you find yourself somewhere on that list? Of course you did. If you need help, the people around you will help you with that. They can point that out for you. All right? Right. And you know something? Unfortunately, often in the Christian community, that's where we stop reading. I'm so grateful that God has a better plan than that. Because let's read it and add the next verse. Don't you know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor practicing homosexuals, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you, what's the next word? Would you circle and underline that? No matter where you found yourself on that list, God offers you a choice. 
you don't have to stay any of those things. You don't have to stay a swindler. You don't have to say, stay sexually immoral. I've known many people in my ministry life who were sexaholics. Literally. Some of them heterosexualholics, some of them homosexualholics. Don't have to be. That's what some of you were. And then he goes on to say, and I underline three words, you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. That is God's loving and gracious plan. God is in the business of transforming all sinners. And by the way, he doesn't much care what the sin is. We are the ones who sort of categorize sin. God doesn't do that. Yeah. And so the truth is, God offers us a choice. I don't have time to get into it deeply this morning, but I put a website on your notes. Because every year that goes by, there is this growing and expanding and it's starting to really explode, group of people who thought that they were hopelessly trapped in the gay and lesbian lifestyle who are finding freedom and deliverance from that lifestyle. And they're learning the truth. And that is, they were not hopelessly programmed that way by birth that God offers them a choice. Now, that particular website is actually not a Christian website. Because there are people inside the Christian community and outside the Christian community who are actually walking away from the homosexual and gay lifestyle and finding freedom in a heterosexual lifestyle. Yeah. There's probably 30 organizations listed on that website and they all specialize in doing that. Some of them Christian and some of them just straight up secular. God has said all along, you do have a choice. And that's the hope that he gives to us. Now, as we conclude, I have some things to say to us as a church and some things to say to different groups here. But I want to start with something that may be a brand new thought for many of us, especially if you come from a deeply Christian background. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says this. And I'll read it to you from the screen. Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, and yet he did not sin. I don't know any way to read that scripture and not come away with the understanding that at some point in his life, Jesus was tempted with same-sex attraction. I'm sorry if that blows all your circuits about Jesus. But the fact that he did experience that means... For those of you sitting in our audience this morning who struggle with that, Jesus knows how you feel. I have some things to say to, to our church. Because some of you are going to say, so, Pastor Ron, does this mean that new life is now going to be a safe place where gay and lesbian people can come and find real community and support? Shake your head like this. I long for the day 
when people who are gay and lesbian will come to our church and find the same loving, accepting, and nurturing atmosphere that heterosexual sinners already find here. Are you on board with that? Yeah. We have some work to do. Not that we don't fully accept people, but we have a lot of ground to make up, unfortunately, for the message that many churches have given. Uh, I want us to be the heart of Christ to a group of people who are lost and confused. I have some things to say to those of you who struggle with same-sex attraction, but you haven't given in, you haven't taken the plunge, and gone and lived the gay lifestyle. In many ways, you are a hero of mine. I hope that you've heard something this morning that fortifies your faith in God and increases your trust. And that you continue to know that God has sexual and moral purity for you for the rest of your life. And he will walk you through that. I have something to say to those of you who are currently living the gay lifestyle. I hope that what you heard this morning gives birth in some way in your heart of hearts to the message that you can trust God. And no matter what might have predisposed you towards same-sex attraction. And no matter what experiences that you've had in the gay and lesbian lifestyle, that God loves you more than you love yourself. And if he says to you, that's not good for you, no matter how enjoyable it's been, I hope you come to trust the living God who gave birth to you and who loves you as his own as his own child. And I hope you will come to him for that moral purity. I'm going to pray for us. There are three ways that we can apply this message this morning. And the first is there are some of us who need to ask God this morning to forgive our tendency to judge and condemn those who struggle with homosexuality. And if that's you, I hope you put a great big fat X right there. And that you go work on that this week in your life. And that you ask God to forgive you. And you ask God to reprogram you. The second thing is, we can commit ourselves to genuinely loving every sexual sinner in the world. Friends, sexual sin, in many ways, is no different than any other sin. It's just a sin. Is it destructive? Sure it is, like every other sin. Can Christ redeem it? Sure he can. He's bigger than any temptation you've ever had. And he's bigger than any predisposition you've ever had. And the third thing is, you can choose to become a Christian today. You can choose to say, I'm giving my life to Christ. I want to trust God with my life. And I want to draw near to a God who would love me enough to tell me the truth and to prevent heartache and disaster in my life. I want to get to know that kind of a God, and I want to trust Him. Father, today, boy, we have a prayer 
for all of our friends who, who struggle and live every day with same-sex attraction, and yet they haven't given in. God, would you just make them uh, stronger today and more encouraged and deeper in their resolve to walk through this life experiencing moral purity. For that matter, Father, we pray for those in her audience who struggle with heterosexual sin. God, that you would strengthen in them their resolve to walk through this life and experience the blessing and the freedom of moral purity. And God, we pray for ourselves that, that as a church you would enable us to create this atmosphere where no matter what sin people struggle with, they would know, I can go to new life and I will be loved on and cared for and in the process of loving on me and caring for me, they will dare to tell me the truth. Father, for those in our audience who have been living the gay lifestyle, would you give them grace to trust you today and to begin walking toward you and away from that lifestyle that eventually would be so destructive to them. And Lord, for those that, that you know today is their day to say, I'm in with God. I'm choosing to become a Christian. Would you give them faith and courage to make that choice today? And God, right now we give to you. We bless you. We thank you. You are so gracious. We pray it in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. amen, amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.